Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlewood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange... The Bizarre, The Unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Are you doing vocal exercises? No. The arsonist has unusually large feet. (laughs) Kat does vocal exercises before we do the show. No, it's nothing like that at all. I, I taped her when she wasn't paying attention. I'm going to play it for you what? right now. Now, yeah, here we go. This is this is the recording of Cat warming up. Okay, <clears throat> okay. Okay. <clears throat> all right. <clears throat> here we go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Anyway, you must be ready by now. You know what? Um, it, what you just did is creepy, uh-huh. and I don't appreciate it. <laughs> That's okay. You're welcome. Um, it's the Box of Oddities, and you can find us on the interwebbles at theboxofoddities.com. The Webernets. The Webernets, if you will. We also have the Sochmead that you can check out. <laughs> We're on the Book of Faces. Mm-hmm. We're on the Gram of Instance. That's right. The Tweeterots. The Tweeterots. The Twitterings. So my dad calls it Tweeter. The Tweeters. The Tweeters. Yeah, the Tweeter. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I've come up with some weird stuff this week. I, I think that it's going to horrify you. I'm so pleased. Yeah. And uh, are you ready to go? I think so. I think I go first this week. Okay. Right. No, I'm excited. Okay. Some fruit is not good for you. That's true. Yeah. Especially the- Stone fruit. Stone fruit's not good. No, I don't know. No. I, re- I genuinely don't even know what stone fruit is. I just pictured it being thrown at your head. Getting one's noggin bashed in by delicious fruit is not a healthy activity. The fruit that I'm referring to is the pear of anguish. No. You know what that is. I do know what that is. But I'm, I'm taking this a whole step further. Oh, God. The pair of anguish is a medieval torture device. Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about really horrifying torture methods from medieval times. Oh, my gosh. Did you get some some of this from that book that we got yes. not long ago? Yes. Oh, my God. This book is amazing. Uh, what's the name of it? I can't remember. I was looking for it. I couldn't find it. Usually you keep it right on your bedside table. 
Yeah, I think that's where it is. I got a lot there, though. Yeah, There's <laughs> we we got to do our research for the show. That's right. A um, little light reading before bed. Yeah, medieval torture practices. Have you ever right. heard of this? Oh my god! The pair of anguish. Now, the pair of anguish is a pear-shaped instrument consisting of four leaves made of metal that slowly separate, like like a flower blooming, with each turn as the torturer turns a screw at the head of the. Uh, of the pair of mm-hmm. anguish. Now, this would be inserted into the uh, torturee in his mouth, his or her mouth, and they would crank it open until it would just, you know, bust their jaw. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I'm just grateful that it's the mouth. Well, I was going to say, that's not the only place they put it. No. Yeah. Yeah. At least that's the word. That's the rumor. The thing is, there's little or no evidence of it actually ever being used that... It was developed, it was invented, it was used to threaten people. Oh, it was more of a fear tactic kind of thing? Yeah. It works. (laughs) That works. They're in museums devoted to the subject of torture, but there is no written evidence of them ever being actually used. So, I don't know. This particular torture method is horrifying to me. The brazen bull. I don't know what that means. I'm not familiar with that one. It was invented in ancient Greece by a guy named uh, Perillos or Perios. I don't know. It's a double L. Let's call him. Let's call him Big P. Big P. He lived in Athens. Mm -hmm. He proposed his idea of a more painful means of execution. What he did, he had this uh, big brass bull statue made, and it was completely hollow on the inside. There was a door on the side of the brass bull. And they would take the victim, and this is according to Wikipedia, they would place him inside the brazen bull, and then they built a huge fire under it. So they cook him. Yeah, they slowly roast this person to death, and and the metal would get so hot it would glow like, like it was alive. It would expand and contract. The device gradually became more sophisticated, The Greeks invented a complex system of tubes and pipes on the inside so that as the victim was roasting alive and he was screaming, the sound would go through these filtered tubes and come out through the bull's mouth and it would sound like the bull was roaring. Oh my God, that's horrifying. What an awful way to go. It also was made so that uh, smoke would rise from it in clouds of incense. It was a really very uh, horrible incense burner. Most are. (laughs) I'm just going to say it. Most are. Now, technically, this was not used during the Middle Ages. Uh, It was more of an ancient Greek and Romans thing. Sure. Torture is torture regardless of what historic period. The rack, of course, everybody knows what that is. But how about the chair of torture? There are many variations of the chair of torture. Sure. It sounds simple enough. But they all have one thing in common. Spikes cover the back, the armrest, the seat, the leg rest, the foot rest. And the number of spikes are between like a, like 500 to 1,500 of them. The victim's wrists were, were tied to the chair. And in one version, two bars push the arms against the armrest of the spikes to penetrate the flesh even further. Mm. Other versions were there were holes under the chair's bottom where the torturer would place hot coal. That was a big thing, I guess. Sure. And cause severe burns while the victim was still remaining conscious. This is this is the, the whole idea was to keep them 
conscious as long as possible. Right. So that they could, uh, you know. Prolonged it, period of yes, pain. Yes. But again, this was not used a lot. Its uh, primary strength was in the psychological fear that it caused. Sure. In people. And just, you know, the few times that they saw it uh, in, in action. Now, a, a diabolical version of that is called Danny's Stool. Now, this is falsely attributed to the Spanish Inquisition. Mm -hmm. Danny's Stool was a, a tall, thin stool with a big metal or wooden pyramid on the top of it. The victim would be stripped. No. Bound with ropes. No. Suspended above the device. They would then be lowered, usually very slowly, onto the device. Oh, no. So that the uh, pyramid shape would enter no. whatever opening it could find. Oh, jeez. You know? Yep. The amount of pain the device inflicted could be changed in several ways. The victim could be rocked back and forth. Oh, jeez. They could be dropped repeatedly mm -hmm, mm -hmm. on the device. One leg could be lifted and olive oil could be spread all over the pyramid. And then brass weights hung on the victim's arms and legs. Oh, yeah. yeah. Here... Uh... I mean, I get I get that you need ways to control people and and fear of horrible torture is a very effective way to do that. It's just I wonder about the brains that come up with these these specific things like, you know what we could do? Mm. Hey, jot this down. OK, so um, so make this giant spike thing and we'll put it in their butts and then we'll rock them about. Yep. In fact, originally the name was Giant Spike Butt Rocking Device. <laughs> it's just like uh, sometimes to prolong the torture, they would uh, they would do that, you know, and then they would suspend them above the the device overnight and then continue in the morning. Oh, sure. After the torturer's coffee. Right, and a nice breakfast. The device was rarely if ever cleaned, according once again oh, to no. Wikipedia. Oh, that's gross. If the victim didn't die from the actual device itself, they died from infection. Oh, of course. Just horrible. Yeah. I mean, I hate it when I touch money and then I don't think about it and then I touch my face. Well, you see how, mm. I, how I open restroom doors <laughs> yes. with my pinky finger. <laughs> now, the torture on Danny's stool could last from several hours to several days. The agonizing pain was just just part of it. The humiliation was also a big part of it, too. Whenever the victim fainted from the pain, the uh, person who was conducting the torture would lift the victim until the tortured person was awake again, and then they would commence the process. Sure, that makes sense. Again, it's about prolonging the, the agony. Yeah. I, I don't think I'd be worrying about humiliation at all i think at at the point where you're having that kind of thing yeah happen to you i don't think humiliation would be a concern mm. for me even no. a little bit no nope no it's not like getting a proctology exam well it is kind of like getting a proctology exam actually yeah is a, a proctology like exam really humiliating though I mean, it's just it's for your health. It's That's not, an important thing. Yeah, it is. But whenever somebody says, a stranger uh -huh. says, uh, okay, now put your elbows on the table sure. and bend over uh -huh. 
and he or she is putting on a rubber glove and covering it with some sort of a lubricant. You know, you, you're going to get to buy a nice new pair of shoes tomorrow. Because <laughs> you're making dollars. Making dollars the hard way. Up the butt. Nope. No, okay, that was too much with the song. Okay. As you know, that was great. I loved it. A variation of this device uh, was used where they would actually tip the victim upside down, kind of like on a, on a teeter-totter, mm-hmm. and they would tip him so his head was down. And then they would do the whole, you know, pokey-poke thing with sharpie things. Mm-hmm. And the reason being is the blood would rush to their head and it would keep them conscious longer. Oh, I see. Now, the guillotine, everybody knows what the guillotine is. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I read recently about this, and this was kind of shocking to me, when it was done successfully, like on the first drop, boom, the head comes off, the head can stay conscious for 7 to 15 seconds. What? You don't just, well, you you can just black out, but it is possible. The head can remain conscious and aware until, you know, it bleeds out. Wow. 15 to, or or 7 to 15 seconds, something like that. And there was a case of a uh, some French monarch that was executed, and they claim that when they picked his head up, somebody called. They called his name, and he opened his eyes and blinked his eyes and looked at him. Oh my God! Can you imagine? Like, oh, I don't have a head. All things I can that, see is this basket. All of the things that you've talked about up until this, I have no interest in seeing. But you would like to see that. <laughs> I just for science sake. That's right, because you're investigative in right. nature. Now we've all seen pictures of medieval tortures, public squares, hangings, mm-hmm. floggings, beheadings, that sort of thing. You know, usually there there's some sort of uh, etchings that were made during the time. And one of those types of uh, tortures was it put them on the wheel, and they would suspend them upside down, mm-hmm. oftentimes, and sometimes they would um, cover them with honey. So that flies would be attracted to them. And then ultimately they would lay their eggs and the maggots would, you get the idea. Essentially they'd be eaten alive by maggots. Ew. Disco rice. Yep. Nice callback. Thanks. To last week's episode of The Box of Oddities. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, (laughs) and Google Play. (laughs) I don't know. But one of the things that they would do is they'd put them on this wheel, Mm -hmm. and uh, if they really hated them, they'd suspend them upside down, and then they would beat them with like metal poles, iron poles, or wood mallets, that sort of thing. And there was a guy that they had, the executioner, executioner, he was specifically trained in how to use a wooden mallet to create the most pain. Right. And what they would do is they they would smash the victim's, one victim's leg, just pulverize it, and then they would take the leg and they would wrap it around the wheel. And then they do the, kind of do, weave it in between, weave it in the, between the spokes, spokes. Yeah. Of like a cart, an ox cart wheel. Yeah. And then they would do it to the arm mm-hmm. and they would wrap it around the spoke. And then they would do it you know, individually. They would just do it until the guy just died. Yeah. And then they would leave it in the square for weeks. Yeah. If you're going to kill somebody, at least, learn you. at least clean up after yourself. <laughs> you, you executioners you kids these days and being an executioner was actually uh it was it was a weird thing back in in those days because there was a certain amount of um honor sure in it yeah a social status Mm -hmm. and at the same time they didn't want anybody to know who they were (laughs) so that's why they wore the 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 hoods hoods. and that sort of thing sure but uh, but they were well respected 
in society. Yeah, you had to be you had to be well qualified to be an executioner and trusted and good at what you do. Yeah. There were accounts where a not so good executioner kind of botched a beheading and they had to hack the it took like 27 hacks to get the head off mm. and the crowd revolted and ran up on the on the on the gallows or whatever they call that platform that they were executing him on. And beat the guy to death and killed him with his own axe. Whoa. Hey, come on. This is getting ridiculous. Get on with it now. And yeah, so there was an element of danger to that as well. I suppose so. And then, of course, you know, Vlad the Impaler and his pokey stick trick. Right. It's a good one. Yeah, you can look that up for yourself. But those are the ones that I that that really kind of blew my mind. It's especially the Danny Stool one. That yeah, there is that book. I, I wish I could remember what it was called, but um, it it's not good for like pre bedtime reading. Which is where we both read it. I know. Uh, <laughs> we make bad choices. We're lying in bed, snuggling. Um, I'm reading a book about medieval torture devices. I'm currently reading The Stranger Beside Me uh, by Anne Rule. Yeah. So it's no wonder neither one of us sleep well. Anyway, just be glad that you don't live in the day of Danny's stool. Let's move on to something a little less... um, Murdery? That's a good way to put it. Less murdery. Life may be like a box of chocolates, but this is the box of oddities. Time for that thing in the middle. Here are five creepy-ass things children have said. (laughs) There are so many. Number five, my three-year-old daughter holding her baby brother for the first time. So I shouldn't throw him in the fire? (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Number four, I was hiking alone in the woods with my son, who was seven. It was eerily quiet. Out of nowhere, he said, the woods demand a sacrifice. Number three, I was on a bus recently, stopped outside a walk-in clinic. A little girl in the seat in front of me turned to her dad and said, Death is the poor man's doctor. What? Let me off at the next stop, please. My child, when he was very young, had night terrors. He would wake up screaming. I said to him one time, what is wrong? He said, quote, I'm dead because I got hit by a car. I was walking to the factory with my sister. The car hit me. It was dusty. I was dead on the dusty road. I miss my sister. Oh. And number one, I was tucking in my two-year-old. He said, goodbye, Dad. I said, no, we say goodnight. He said, I know, but this time it's goodbye. Kids. Kids, what are you going to do? <laughs> oh, wacky kids in their Keep nightmares. Keep them in the barn. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. All right. What do you got for me this week? Stonehenge. Stonehenge. <laughs> have you have you seen the recent news about Stonehenge? No. What? Okay, so here we go. Oh, this is going to be great. There is because it's going to be about aliens. Mute. So Stonehenge. If you're not familiar, Stonehenge is a prehistoric monument in England. It consists of a ring of standing stones. Sure. With each standing stone around 13 feet high, 7 feet wide, and weighing about 25 tons. It is one of the most famous landmarks in the UK, and some would say in the world. 
1986, it was uh, added to the UNESCO list of World Heritage Sites. So uh, lots of theories about Stonehenge, uh, why it exists, how it came to be, what the uh, circumstances surrounding its oration uh, are. Uh, Archaeologists uh, in 2008 claimed that there was evidence to suggest that Stonehenge had healing properties. The scientists claimed that the ancient chipping of the rocks was the equivalent of the Lord's a French commune that allegedly possessed healing powers. Uh, Anthony Perks, who's a researcher at the University of British Columbia, claimed in 2003 that, in fact, the ancient site was a sex symbol, which could have been constructed to look like the female sexual organs. I would argue it looks more like the male sexual organs, but hey. Unless you view it from above. I suppose. I suppose that's true. No, still, that's there's something horribly wrong with that yeah. female sexual organ, sure. if that's what that looks like. You should get that checked. <laughs> uh, the University College London also came up with a strange theory in 2012. They thought that uh, Stonehenge was a team-building exercise, that it was just something that the town really? uh, pulled people together to, to help build. Uh, just, you know. Just as a fun Sunday park kind of event. Yeah, you see like the ancient druids going into like a little corner market with these photocopied things with the little phone number slips on the bottom of it. Can I hang this up on your bulletin board? <laughs> We've got a monolith raising this weekend. Next, trust falls. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's next. It's a team building exercise. Uh-huh. That's what people, and then the parachutes, you get the big, sure. and then the, anyway. Yeah. Uh, in the 1968 book, Chariots of the Gods, the author claimed that the technologies as well as the religions of ancient civilizations had been given to them by extraterrestrial yeah. beings. That's Eric Von Daniken. I Yeah. And um, he, he hypothesizes that that was the case. Could it be? Could it be? Um, so, yeah, there are a lot of things that uh, people have... Hypothesized. S- hypothesized. What, what's the latest, though? I, I, I'm dying to hear. One of the biggest mysteries surrounding Stonehenge may be finally solved. So uh, the pillars, the, the stones uh, that are standing are supposedly from Marlborough Downs, which is about 20 miles away from where Stonehenge stands at Salisbury Plain. Um, Archaeologist Mike Pitts recently published his findings regarding the origin of Stonehenge in the Journal of British Archaeology. By the way, I got most of this from Forbes magazine. After extensive archaeological research, Mr. Pitts believes he's found the answer. Two of the largest stones within Stonehenge appear to have been in place for millions of years, long before humans arrived uh, to have created Stonehenge or anything else for that matter. Huh. The largest stone, the heel stone, weighs 60 tons and is uniquely not shaped or dressed like many of the other stones, uh, meaning it wasn't chiseled, it wasn't... It was a natural... It's in its natural shape. Like, like glaciers left it there or something? Exactly. Okay. In addition, while excavating around the heel stone, Mr. Pitts found evidence for a relic hole that would have been big enough for the heel stone. Um, so the idea is that that hole is where that stone was, and they just... Oh, they raised it up. They just raised it up. 
Oh, I just copied that same part twice. <laughs> During further excavation, he found evidence for another filled-in hole uh, nearby, uh, which is uh, the same shape and size as another one of the the, the stones. So they did they did that a couple of times. Exactly. So if these two massive unshaped, undressed stones. Uh, were originated in place at Salisbury Plain, uh, what prompted people to erect these stones and drag over a dozen other stones 20 miles to Salisbury Plain? And it appears that the answer lies in the initial orientation of those two stones. So you're picturing this stone here and this stone here. It appears that uh, aligned with sunrise during the summer solstice and sunset during the winter solstice, these stones line up perfectly. Okay. And they were just there by accident. Exactly. Wow. The terret, uh, uh, I don't know how to pronounce this word. Tertiary. 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 Yes. Too many T's. The tertiary age stones are as a result of repeated frost wedging during the warm and cold periods in Earth history. Uh, The story begins to fall into place that the two massive standstone boulders existed in place for millions of years. And the unique presence of the two boulders and their orientation with the sunrise and sunset appear to have been um, the significance behind the Stonehenge location. These stones were just there naturally. And because of how they lined up with the, the summer solstice and, um, and such, they wanted to build this special place for what purpose? You know, we're still a little unsure. There are those that believe that it's, a, it's just a cemetery for well-known families. That's how Stonehenge was birthed. Okay. Basically. Um, and then, you know, how the other stones got where they are and the the moving of them, the amazing weight that they they must have been and the how 20 miles and the rolling of the things and the pulling and all that. Still a mystery. But why they were placed the way that they were, uh, at least, is is somewhat solved because that's those stones have been there for millions of years. It's amazing. Saw a documentary recently about uh, how sound may have played a part in the construction of uh, Stonehenge, uh, that uh, if you beat drums in there, they echo off the stones in a certain way Ooh. that uh, can create almost a... Uh, hallucinogenic experience for people what like a shamanistic type of uh of experience and that it was used by ancient druids or whoever uh during meditation periods that they would do this and it would help them you know get into a trance-like state sure that totally makes sense my question is why is it that where stonehenge is located is also the number one hotspot for crop circles I think that's fascinating. Why um, is that? Well, probably because weirdos are attracted to Stonehenge. Oh, you think that the people who, f- quote, fake the, the crop circles are drawn to the area because Stonehenge is there? Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. <clears throat> Ancient alien theorists say no. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I just, uh, when I see news coming up about Stonehenge, it's very exciting because it's something that has been so many questions surround it and have for so long. And when you look at how small our lives are compared to how long this has been a, a thing and, 
you're just I don't know. It just seems so much bigger than sure. all of us. And well, Stonehenge is just one. Uh, well, it is the major monolith, obviously in in that area. But there are many more. Sure. And what they have found is that they're all on a particular magnetic line. And one theory is that uh, some of these areas. Churches were built, or cathedrals will, were built there, mm-hmm. places of worship, sure. you know, and then were destroyed, and then other ones were built on top of on this along this magnetic line. Uh, one of the theories is that they are portals to other dimensions. Yeah, I thought that you might bring that up. Is that all you have to say? Just yep. No, that, I just it? assumed that you would bring that oh, okay. up because, well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> No, I think all of the theories are interesting. Some more likely than others, but interesting nonetheless. You know, a friend of mine said he had a. Do you remember? Do you remember when uh, the 2012 Mayan calendar yeah. thing was all popular and stuff? For sure. A friend of mine said he had a a theory as to why the Mayan calendar ended on December, whatever it was, 21st, 2012. Right. Is because the Mayans ran out of uh, sharp chisels. Makes sense. Yeah. Totally makes sense. He probably stole that line from somebody. So if it's not his, I, you know, I'd like to give you credit. I just don't know who said it. It's, you know, that's like my uh, daily calendar is filled out only through like February. But that's because uh, February ended. was the end of the world. But because that's when I lost interest in keeping a daily calendar. <laughs> so the Mayans, they just lost interest. <laughs> yeah. That's what happened then. That's fascinating, and I'd like to learn more uh, about that. And uh, I, I know that you would. Mostly the part about alternative universes right, and, and the portals to and, yeah, yeah, that sort of thing. Any hoozle, that's the Box of Oddities. Theboxofoddities.com is our website. You can email us with suggestions or with your Stonehenge theory. <laughs> yeah. Curator at theboxofoddities.com. We're Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. We have been for quite some time. And we'll see you next time. Keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those I report to, to beseech you for assistance. The Box of Oddities is free. We ask but one thing of you. To provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True. That is, two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash BoxOfOdditiesPodcast On Twitter at BoxOfOddities And Instagram at BoxOfOdditiesPodcast Copyright 2018 All rights reserved Hi, I'm Neil And I'm Ken And we are from the Triviality Podcast a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that. 
because you're already listening to a podcast. Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.